Welcome to Beer Stories for Private Equity. Join us for our weekly happy hour, tapping into 27 years of PE experience, one pint at a time. Beer Stories for Private Equity is powered by Monogram Group. We're excited to be joined by Brett Holcomb, partner at the firm, co-managing the operations, sourcing, and executing transactions. And for Monogram Group, here's your host, Scott Markman. Please fasten your seatbelts. Welcome to episode three of Beer Stories for Private Equity. I'm Scott Markman, your host, and today I'm joined by my longtime client and friend, Brett Holcomb at Prospect Partners. Brett, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Scott. Excited to be here. Um, I want to get into right away uh, your background. Um, you started your career at Bear Stearns in American Capital before getting your uh, MBA at Kellogg. Um, and then you spent the last 14 years or so here at Prospect and about half that time as a partner. So what's it like to lead a firm um, like Prospect, which has allowed you to kind of further your career in private equity and realize some long-term personal goals? Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it and appreciate being included. Here, Scott, I think, you know, we we are very excited. You know, we've had a great uh, relationship with you guys. But more importantly, you know, we've had 25 years here in this lower middle market. And as, as you noted, I've been here for about 14 years. Listen, I'm incredibly fortunate, right? I mean, I'm, I'm one of the few that found an industry I loved early on and uh, had the fortunate opportunity to, you know, be surrounded by teammates here that love the lower middle market and that are striving and, and really excited to building the best small company investment firm in the country. And, you know, not all people are lucky enough to have that opportunity. You know, I, it's also humbling, right? I, you know, I, you know, you look around and, you know, I, I want to come back to this concept later of a leap of faith, but, you know, you have this idea that investors, management teams, employees, you know, have taken a leap of faith on myself and my partners here and, you know, being able to execute and perform against that leap of faith is something, you know, that I don't take for granted. So you talk about the fact that you have multiple audiences. You have um, your investors, you have your partners and employees, you have leadership at these various uh, companies, and you have the employees at these companies. So, so what do you, just trying to build upon what you just said, what do you think about in terms of the role responsibility as a leader of a firm like this, with all those folks to kind of think about and to sort of honor and respect kind of what's in their interests as well as yours. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's where having a purpose and staying true to that purpose and, and true to who you are is incredibly important. You know, we, we have a purpose here at Prospect that we work with entrepreneurs, we build platforms and we roll up our sleeves alongside our management teams. And, you know, I, I think we'll probably talk about it later today, but the idea of finding people that buy into that purpose, are excited to join that mission uh, and and see the opportunity out there is something that is incredibly important to us, something that, you know, we look for in folks and, you know, we uh, we strive hard to, uh, to find. Excellent. Before we get too far, Britt, um, we need to bring our blessed beer into the conversation we brought today a, a brand called Waybird Hazy IPA. I must admit, I've never tried this, but I love this already for two reasons. A, the can is orange or HC color, and B, it mentions birds. And because in addition to being a Bears fan, we'll talk about that uh, a little bit, I'm a gigantic uh, Baltimore Orioles 
and Baltimore Ravens uh, fans, uh, having been born there and lived there until I was 28. Um, and so in honor of the beloved birds. Finally. I thought you were never going to ask. The whole point of this thing was beer stories, and you know, you made me go through that first question without getting to at least crack the can. So thank you. All right, you're going to laugh when I say this, but it's true. So while I'm pouring a beer, we can talk about your co-founders, Rick Tuttle and Luke Kenter, who had founded this firm and collectively had sixty plus years of combined experience working with these guys who had a long history and were so successful at what they did. What did you learn from them and how do you apply that to your tenure in leading the firm? Yeah, you know, Rick and Lou were fantastic investors. I mean, you know, they they kind of harken back to the early era of the private equity industry. And, and they had this vision 25 years ago to focus and really more importantly, stay focused on small company investing out there. And as you know, from having tracked the industry, that's actually the exception. A lot of folks, for reasons both understandable and not, uh, decide to come in on smaller companies. They're tourists in our industry, and then they quickly move up and out of the market. And, and what Rick and Lou really brought to Prospect, and, and I really appreciate, is the concept of staying focused and keeping blinders on, right? We know what we're really good at. We're really proud of what we do well, which is a small company investing, and we haven't chased whatever the trends are. It's in vogue to raise larger funds, or it's in vogue to raise certain sector specialist funds. And we really stayed focused on this small company investing, which which I appreciate. You know, the the other thing, and you know, I, I can't under uh, I can't overstate the importance of this is, you know, the culture of having a deep respect for our management teams out there. Right, we're incredibly lucky. We get brought into companies after a management team has spent decades making thousands of decisions that led them to this point. And I, and I think certain folks in our industry have a, you know, master of the universe mentality where they're the smartest folks out there and they have all the answers. And, you know, from very early on, you know, Rick and Lou were focused on making sure we respect, we understand, we have a deep appreciation for what our teams have built and, and all the hard work that's gone into getting where we are today. And, and by the way, that same level of respect. I feel strongly about Rick and Lou, right? They transitioned the firm to Brad O'Dell, Eric Maurer, and myself a handful of years ago. And, you know, they made a lot of great decisions along the way that led us to where we are today. Now it's Brad, Eric, and myself's job to find that next 25 years for Prospect to make sure that we continue to reinforce the culture that's so important to us here at Prospect. So I want to probe a little bit into two things that you mentioned. First of all, the fact that um, you folks do deals that are, you know, some level almost below traditional lower middle market, and, and when we did the branding work for your um, firm and and built the messaging out, you leaned into that pretty hard and said, "This is what we are and why." Kind of unapologetically and explained it on the in the website for anybody who's going to visit. I thought in a very very clear and easy to understand way. So again talking to an informed audience, but riff on that just a second. Why why deals smaller that you almost sell to lower middle market? And again, you y'all y'all could do anything, but you've chosen this, you're experts at it. Why? Uh, you know, first of all, it's what we love, right? We love rolling up our sleeves. We love working with entrepreneurs. So it, it's a passion of ours. And it's, you know, we've all self-selected. A lot of us who come from larger funds 
And we love the opportunity to dig in with entrepreneurs and help them build a better, not just a bigger platform. And again, we can talk about that a little bit later. At this level, do you feel like you can have a greater impact that there's more, I'll call it infrastructure building or blocking and tackling to get them to a certain level where they're kind of ready to, to scale? Is that part of the appeal of that? No doubt. Uh, you know, in, in that, that cuts both ways, right? You know, these, these are not necessarily growth ready companies. When we first get involved, there is a ton of infrastructure building that goes in place. There's a lot of foundation building, risk mitigation, right? I mean, all these fancy buzzwords, but at the core, it's really helping our teams get prepped so that they can accelerate and accelerate quickly in the back part of our their experience with us. And, and, and we love that, but more importantly, we see an opportunity to generate outsized returns for our investors by focusing in this area, right? So it's both a passion for getting to work with these teams but also an opportunity. And, and I've got, you know, a great example for you. You know, we exited a company not too long ago and we had done a fantastic job of building this company. We had done a lot of that foundation building we had talked about along the way. And when we went to exit, we had a tremendous amount of interest from bigger funds that looked and said, wow, you guys have put in place a team, systems, processes, all that blocking and tackling that will allow us to accelerate the growth on our nickel. Uh, and we also had a lot of interest from smaller funds out there that said, listen, you've accomplished a lot of this. We see this as an opportunity to step up alongside our co-investors and really continue building on what you've done out there. And so it allows us to hit at that kind of great inflection point. So it's, it's, a, it's a little bit of a tweener strategy, right? It's you're staying away from maybe a lot of lower middle market funds. It's a little bit too small. They're going to take a pass on this, but it's, it's at a point where private equity you know, writing a check and putting the resources in place are going to make a difference. They're not too small to take advantage of that. And so maybe it gives you a swing at some deals that maybe others either aren't looking for or would take a pass. It's why we made the effort to really focus on the term pre-middle market out there. We're trying to differentiate between lower middle market, which by the way, there's billion dollar funds these days calling themselves lower middle market funds out there. <laughs> and kind of main street folks or independent sponsors out there, right? We, we really want to dominate this category in between there. And so as we looked at that pre-middle market seemed like the logical approach. Our, our goal is to really help build these companies up into the middle market. So for us, Scott, that, that's single digit EBITDA if you want to put numbers around how we defined it. But more importantly, it's also a belief that with additional systems and processes and infrastructure building, there can be a platform on the other end of that. And, and so that's really how we view pre-middle market, both from a size perspective, as well as kind of a qualitative perspective. So our, our last guest, uh, Joe Gaffigan from O2. Um, Who we know well. We've done a lot of deals with Joe. Okay, so Joe sort of said, and he ripped about this a little bit, that the rise of the, of the independent sponsor, and he sort of put that term in quotes versus fundless sponsor, a little bit of a euphemism. But he said that has exploded in the last, I don't know, three or four or five years. Do you compete for deals with independent sponsors as much as I'll call it other organized firms that maybe play at your level? At times, though I, though I would tell you the typical independent sponsor has a slightly different profile they're looking for. And you know, in, in, at the risk of generalizing because there's about a million different forms and flavors of independent sponsors out there, but you know, often they're looking for a smaller business that is gonna move along at a fairly steady pace out there. 
we're looking for businesses that are platform capable, that need additional equity capital going in, that value having a big team on our side to help them get there. And, you know, we just added a financial operating partner in the last month that can really roll up her sleeves and work alongside our teams. And, you know, those are resources that an independent sponsor can't bring to bear out there. So you have somewhat of a selection bias where, you know, I think the folks we are working with are looking for someone that's got a long history, a deep reputation, but also the resources to help get them quickly to the next level. That That's not true of every independent sponsor. Some, yes, not every. I want to go back to the other thing that you had mentioned a few minutes ago, which was your partners. Um, the three of you have worked together for a long time before you became partners and since. And again, as as a you know consultant to to you know you guys, I see the camaraderie and the cohesion, collaborative nature of the three of you that colors and you know sets a tone this entire um, firm. So. What's the, you know, what's the personal history behind the three of you coming together and how do you stomach a Packers fan? <laughs> I, I need to know this because, you know, we, we tease Brad all the time, but, um, you know, I think their day of reckoning, maybe not now, but their day of reckoning is coming. I took Yeah. I think that, I think that day of reckoning may be postponed a little bit from what we were hoping for <laughs> a week or two ago. Yeah. It's hard to be a Bears fan. For it's it's hard to be listening. a Bears fan. It's hard to have a Packers fan sitting right next door to you here in the office. So it's, it's tough. L listen, Brad and I have worked together. Brad, Eric and I have worked together for 14 years. You know, Eric was employee number one here at Prospect after Rick and Lou, you know, he brought Brad and I on 14 coming up on 15 years ago. And you know, we love working together, right? You, you may hear that a lot, but you know, I, I think anybody that spends time around us recognizing that, you know, we have not only self-selected into this size of the market, we've self-selected who our partners are, right? You know, we get to wake up and work with people we enjoy on a daily basis, right? We've created a culture here where it's super supportive and collaborative of each other. We push each other, right? We argue, right? Like any good partners, you don't always have unanimous agreement on every decision, but we enjoy that, right? I mean, that's part of what we enjoy. You know, we live five, 10 minutes from each other. Our families know each other. You know, it, it's something that's important to us that we are working with folks that not only we know and like, but we respect and trust. And I, I think that's really important in this industry is to find partners that you respect and trust, not just, you know, and like, and, you know, we're, we're super fortunate here to kind of have hit on all cylinders. And again, as a outside third party, I've observed this over a number of years in working on the, the branding and communications work for the firm, but also uh, we work with one of uh, Prospect's portfolio companies, QMI, for a couple of years now. And I've gotten a chance to see how Brett operates with the founder and with current management and all kinds of stuff, uh, doing the branding work for QMI, which is a fascinating company. Um, and, you know, I can say, you know, kind of pretty soberly that uh, what Brett is describing is our observation. And it's, you know, it, it makes serving them and supporting them so much easier than, you know, many of the firms that we've worked with because of that, that. Of that relationship. Appreciate that. There's a, there's a, a pillar of kind of your, you know, call it a message, internal guidepost that you describe as the eight P's. So share that with our audience and why is it a cornerstone here? 
you know, when we started working with you, Scott, I, I think a question we asked ourselves and spent a lot of time trying to understand is, you know, how do you capture what we're looking for and what we're doing? And, you know, we arrived at this concept of potential, not perfection out there. And, and you can see that on our website. And as we started to unpeel that onion and, and try to say, all right, well, what does that mean? And, and what are the characteristics of potential? Potential is really what matters to you. You know, we arrived at this concept of the eight P's out there and, you know, you can see them out there. It's passion and, you know, it's platforms and it's persistence and it's partnership. And, you know, you can kind of go down the list, but every one of those elements for us represents a characteristic potential and also represents what we're looking for in our partners and what they should be looking for in us. And so I, I mentioned earlier this selection bias, this concept that we want people with whom this message resonates. And these eight P's for us are one of these filters, right? If these eight P's don't register, if these eight P's aren't something that makes sense to you, then we're probably not the right partner. And I'm happy to introduce you to other folks. There's a lot of capital out there. I'll introduce you to folks who maybe you'd be a better partner for. But for us, these APs are a good way to kind of filter and, and manage um, whether or not we found the right partner and they think they found the right partner. Um, I want to refer back to an article in M&A Source that you folks authored four or five years ago. And it outlines 10 key questions to ask before choosing a private equity partner for a seller. We see this all the time, that private equity as a category has a bit of a spotty, broad reputation, and there's lots of flavors of, you know, ice cream out there. And, you know, conduct and attitude and objectives and collaboration and all of it is all over the place. So you wrote an article about if you're in their shoes, what are the questions you should be asking? Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I think it's a great topic. You know, we have seen this happen so many times and we have been frustrated so many times where you go into a management presentation and you have a great management presentation and they talk about how they really want to find a partner and how partnership is a key component. And valuation always matters. Don't get me wrong. We're not naive, but partnership is really what matters. And then through the investment banking process, you work your way to a letter of intent or an LOI. And all of a sudden, somebody says they're going to sign a letter of intent, and they've never talked about that partnership element, right? The letter of intent lays out all the economic details, but it doesn't really get to the core of what are folks like as a partner. And for us, what we were trying to educate folks on is the only way that you can really figure out what somebody's like as a partner is to reference check them at its core, right? You would do that in all other areas of business. And so it seems crazy to me that you would sign a letter of intent with a group out there based on a couple hour meeting or a quick dinner and not really spend the time to understand what are they like as a partner, right? We're going to be working together for five years out there. For better or worse, you're going to work with me. And so spend time talking to other folks that have worked with us and with me individually. And what am I like as a partner? And I'm happy to tell you the good, the bad, and the ugly. Any deal I've ever worked on, whether it was the most successful deal we've done or a poor deal, you should talk to them and understand what we're like as a partner. And so that's what we were trying to convey. It's why we brought a couple of our portfolio company CEOs in to kind of really quote and spend time in that article is so that they could provide that perspective because it sounds self-serving coming from me. But, you know, this is a process they went through. And in fact, you know, we had one of our current portfolio companies, a company called Blackwood Solutions, 
Jason Fagans will be the first one to tell you that he was trying to make a decision here between a few different offers that were pretty similar from an economic perspective. And the references were dramatically different. And the end decision he had to come down to was, can I get where I want to go faster with prospect partners or with somebody else? And fundamentally, I'm thrilled that he went with prospect, clearly. But Jason did his homework. And if he had gone with somebody else, I would have respected that decision. I would have been very disappointed in the outcome. But I respected the fact that he took his time to do those references. He took his time to understand what was important to him and to, and to talk to our teams that we work with to understand you know, what we're like and who we are as partners. To our listeners, we'll make sure to link this M&A source article in the show notes of this episode. So I have a quote here from one of your founder CEOs that I believe um, um, you know, mentioned this about your firm. I don't quite know when, but it's, it's not really the point. This gentleman, Joe Lynch, CEO of Minuteman Security Technology, said the following, quote, Prospect Partners was a fantastic partner. It helped us evolve into a leading security and life safety integrator, overseeing investments in our team and systems along the way. They guided us during a high growth period as we tripled the size of the business under their ownership. They really understood how to partner with entrepreneurs to build leading middle market platforms. So you hear that. What, what do you think about where, where is Hitch in and why? Well, it's why we do what we do, right? I mean, you know, to, to have a founder and CEO be willing to put a statement like that out there and really understand the value of what we brought during our partnership is, is, is fantastic. It's also not unique, which I'm very gratified by. You know, it, luckily we have a lot of situations where our teams are as happy with the process and the outcome of our partnership as they are with the financial outcome they had there. And, and you know, for what it's worth, our reputation when we sell companies is incredibly important to us. We want our companies to go on and be incredibly successful. We take a lot of pride in partnering with companies that have the capabilities to go on and continue to grow once they've been partners with us. And in fact, you know, during that Minuteman exit, it was a point we made with our investment bankers, which is you know, make sure people understand that when prospect exit an investment, it is set up for continued success out there. We want that reputation. And by the way, we want to be paid for it, but we want that reputation and we want folks to know that that's an important part of our legacy with our companies. You know, from a brand, you know, consultant's ear, you can't ask for anything more than that because it's the essence being valued and acted upon and candidly monetized. You know, one of the things we talk about in brand for any client is there are two benefits to a strong brand. Number one, raising your prices and people still say yes. And number two, what else can I sell you? <laughs> it's, I mean, I, that is not a private yep. equity comment. That's a brand comment, yep. whether it's Starbucks or anybody else. And for you to a little bit kind of innately bring that into having a strong brand. I mean, forget the logos and forget the websites and all that, but just your brand. Who are you and how do you stand out? What do you value? What do you emphasize? And how does it you know, help all parties? That's a strong brand. All right, enough business. We're going to talk personal stuff for a second. Uh, share a little bit with our listeners about your, you know, your family, you know, your wife and kids living in Wilmette and rubbing shoulders with uh, Todd Ricketts and Bill Murray and all these superstars up in the northern suburbs. Different side of the tracks. Tell us about your kids. 
I've got three kids, boy, boy, girl, a 13-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 7-year-old. They run us ragged on the weekends. We are soccer parents. We are tennis parents. And we're uh, just trying to keep the train on the tracks on any given day out there. So, um, you know, what's why why live in the, why live in Wilmette? I mean, it's a beautiful place. Um, it's but there's lots of places you could have, you could have chosen to live in Chicago. Why why there? The story I was going to tell you, which I actually I do like, you know, what I think is actually really cool, and I'll, I'll just tell you the story quickly, is you know the Ricketts family is such a part of the community, which I think is really unique and interesting. Right there. Laura Ricketts' kids go to the public school that my kids go to. But but the really interesting story, and I, I think one that maybe gives you a good example and why, you know, I'd love to have dinner with them just to say thank you, if nothing else, is, you know, Tom Ricketts lived two or three blocks over from us, and at Halloween, my kids zeroed in on Tom Ricketts' house. It's like, hey, he gives out king-size candy bars and Cubs baseballs, right? And so they were always focused on Tom Ricketts house is a key element to that. And in 2016 Cubs are in the world series out there and Halloween is in between game five and game six, right? The teams are traveling from Cleveland to Chicago or Chicago to Cleveland. I forget which. And so I prep my kids and I let them know, Hey guys, Tom Ricketts is not going to be handing out King size candy bars and a baseball. He is in between game five and six of the world series here. So do not get, do not get your hopes up that you're going to get a king size candy bar and a baseball. And they like, like my, like my kids do, they ignored me. And they said, we're going to go to Tom Ricketts house. We show up at Tom Ricketts house, ring the doorbell. Tom answers the doorbell in between game five and game six of the world series. Tom hands out candy bars. Tom hands out signed Cubs baseballs. And you know, Tom looks like he's pretty tired out there and it's been a long run, but in one day, in between game five and six, he's answering the door for a bunch of kids to hand out candy and a baseball. Uh, you know, that's pretty cool to me. And and that would have been the last thing anybody would have expected him to do, right? That was not cameras in tow, a PR thing. That was Tom being part of the community and doing what you do in the neighborhood, handing out candy bars and handing out baseballs. When you think about the arc of your career, you know, you're 20 some years into this um, and you're, you're having a beer, coffee with somebody who just graduated B school. And you say, you know, two lessons learned, things to think about. Why, what is this all about to somebody who's maybe in their mid to late twenties? What are you going to talk? I, I mentioned it earlier and I, it, it's a topic that really is important to me, which is this concept of a leap of faith. Right. And, you know, people take a leap of faith in us in this industry. We, we, we talked earlier, investors are taking a leap of faith on us when they decide to commit to prospect partners, right? You know, not only are they putting their money behind us, they're putting their reputations behind us out there. Our employees are taking a leap of faith when they come here as well, as well as our management teams are taking a leap of faith. So you need to recognize that, right? When you're stepping into this industry, you have to recognize that people are taking a leap of faith in you and you need to honor that leap of faith out there and you need to conduct yourself accordingly. The flip side of that equation is that you are going to need to take a leap of faith in this industry. We don't operate with perfect information out there. And at some point you are going to lie in bed at night and you are going to wonder if you're about to make the best decision of your career or the worst decision of your career. And you're going to lie there and say, man, what don't I know? What do I know? Where am I taking a leap of faith out there? 
And you need to know that the answer is not in the spreadsheet. The answer is in the people. And the answer is in the culture. And the answer is in the work you have done to build those relationships over time. And so if you're staring at a spreadsheet thinking that I'm a finance guy, this is a finance job. And so, you know, let's find the answer here in the numbers. You're never going to find it. So invest in those relationships, invest in, you know, the work you have done and know that, you know, you are going to face that moment. And I don't know, there's one of us, Brad and I talk about this all the time. I don't know that there's one investment I've ever made where you don't lay awake at one point at night saying, am I making the right decision here? And, and again, it's not in the numbers, it's in the people. And ultimately our best investments have come down to the people we've invested in. Right. And so focus on that, right? Numbers matter. You got to get it right. It's blocking and tackling, but focus on that when you take a leap of faith. Well, that is all the quasi-prepared questions that I have, discussion topics for Brett today. Again, want to say thank you for um, participating in Beer Stories for Private Equity. This has been an excellent conversation and a hope of, of interest and, and um, impact for our listeners. So again, Brett, thank you so much for uh, being uh, participant number three in the long-running, soon-to-be long-running series, Beer Stories for Private Equity. Scott, appreciate being included. Thank you. I must mention to our listeners, we're starting to get fan mail. It's amazing. Our first email came through LinkedIn from a gentleman named Friedolf Hansen, Managing Director at White Oak Commercial Finance, who wrote, loved your podcast. Thanks, Friedolf. A shout out to you and the entire White Oak team. Our second message uh, came from a gentleman named JSB, who says, hey, Scott, huge fan of your beer stories podcast i've been streaming on your monogram group website but what other apps can i listen to from my car it's a great question our podcast is perfect for the car we're pushing on episodes across all major platforms including spotify apple podcast amazon audible iHeartRadio, alexa and 15 other podcast directories we're also official on youtube live and in color if you want to see the full video experience that's all for our show today. From all of us at Monogram Group, thanks for listening to Beer Stories for Private Equity. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you'll know when we drop new episodes. Please check out the show notes in the description to relevant links from today's episode. And if you have any questions or recommendations on future episodes, our email is podcast at monogramgroup.com.